0: Welcome back to the Hemingway List for Book 7, Chapter 12 of War and Peace. Only one comment on today's discussion. Everyone must be busy. Nevertheless, these are the discussion prompts. What was your feeling overall from this chapter? Do you feel happiness for Nikolai and Sonya? Or, like some, did you feel a sense of doom and foreboding at some of the imagery present in the chapter? Nikolai briefly discusses discusses with Natasha the quarrel he had with their mother. Now that the, he has all but engaged himself to Sonya, do you think the Rostov fortunes are doomed? Do you see a way out for the family financially? Do you think Nikolai is being immature with this decision, and not as considerate of his family's future as he should be? The chapter closes with Sonya and Natasha, playing a game in which they use two mirrors that reflect each other in a manner similar to this Supposedly doing this allows one to see omens or portents. Sonya sees nothing but lies and says she sees Andre lying down, but with a cheerful face. Natasha doesn't take this omen well. Do you think there is an element of foresh? Fra- of fra-resh? Of what? I don't know what foresh means. Foresh? Nah, whatever. <laughs> I didn't write these discussion prompts. I Sometimes I don't know what they mean. Actually, no, that's not really true. I always know what that means, but I don't know what Foresh means in today's uh, one. Maybe I copy-pasted it wrong. Oh, well. Four Lost Souls in a Bowl, MVP of today's conversation, because um, Four Lost Souls in a Bowl was the only person who made a comment. So you win today. Well done. Um, I'm really angry with Andre right now. Natasha has been my favorite character since I met her. Largely because of her joy de vivre, and independent spirit, my joy for life. But now she's miserable because André has basically abandoned her. Just because the wedding has to be put off for a year doesn't mean he's not allowed to contact her or reassure her. If he's not able to visit, he should be writing, not just completely ghosting her, letting her worry herself sick. Yeah, that's a good point. Dick move by André. Bloody fool! He's a bloody fool, and um, but also in saying that, it it'd be so weird to date someone then without, you know, with only letters to communicate if they're not right there in front of you, and letters not even being always an option. Crazy! Imagine. Oh, excuse me. I'm tired. Let's read chapter 13. This is the last chapter of book 7. Soon after the Christmas holidays, Nicholas told his mother of his love for Sonya, and of his firm resolve to marry her. The countess, who had long noticed what was going on between them and was expecting this declaration, listened to him in silence and then told her son that he might marry whom he pleased. But that neither she nor his father would give their blessing to such a marriage. Nicholas, for the first time, felt that his mother was displeased with him and that despite her love for him, she would not give way. Coldly, without looking at her son, she sent for her husband and, when he came, tried briefly and coldly to inform him of the facts in her son's presence, but unable to restrain herself, she burst into tears of vexation and left the room. The old Count began irresolutely and to admonish Nicholas and beg him to abandon his purpose. Nicholas replied that he could not go back on his word, and his father, sighing and evidently disconcerted, very soon became silent and went into to the Countess. In all his encounters with his son, the Count was always conscious of his own guilt toward him for having wasted the family fortune, and so he could not be angry with him for refusing to marry an heiress and choosing the dowerless Sonya. On this occasion he was only more vividly conscious of the fact that if his affairs had not been in disorder no better wife for Nicholas than Sonya could have been wished for and that no one but himself with his mitenka and his uncomfortable habits was to blame for the condition of the family finances the father and mother did not speak of the matter to their son again but a few days later the countess sent for sonya and with a cruelty neither of them expected reproached her niece for trying to catch Nicholas, and for ingratitude. Sonia listened silently with downcast eyes to the Countess's cruel words without understanding what was required of her. She was ready to sacrifice everything for her benefactors. Self-sacrifice was her most cherished idea, but in this case she could not see what she ought to sacrifice or for whom. She could not help loving the Countess and the whole Rostov family, but neither could she help loving Nicholas and knowing that his happiness depended on that love. She was silent and sad and did not reply. Nicholas felt the situation to be intolerable and went to have an explanation with his mother. He first implored her to forgive him and Sonya and consent to their marriage. Then he threatened that if she molested Sonya, he would at once marry her secretly. The Countess, with a coldness her son had never seen in her before, replied that he was of age, that Prince André was marrying without his father's consent, and he could do the same, but that she would never receive that intrigue as her daughter. Exploding at the word "intriguer," Nicholas raised his voice, told his mother he had never expected her to try to force him to sell his feelings, but if that were so, he would say for the last time, But he had no time to utter the decisive word which the expression of his face caused his mother to await with terror, and which would perhaps have forever remained a cruel memory to them both. He had not time to say it, for Natasha, with a pale and set face, entered the room from the door at which she had been listening. "'Nicholas, you are talking nonsense. Be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, I tell you.' She almost screamed, so as to drown his voice. "'Mama, darling, it's not at all so, my poor sweet darling.' she said to her mother, who, conscious that they had been on the brink of a rupture, gazed at her son with terror, but in the obstinacy and excitement of the conflict, could not and would not give way. Nicholas, I'll explain to you. Go away, listen, Mama Darling, said Natasha. Her words were incoherent, but they attained the purpose at which she was aiming. The Countess, sobbing heavily, hid her face on her daughter's breast while Nicholas rose clutching his head and left the room natasha set to work to effect a reconciliation and so far succeeded that nicholas received a promise from his mother that sonya should not be troub- troubled should not be troubled while he on his side promised not to undertake anything without his parents knowledge firmly resolved after putting his affairs in order in the regiment to retire from the army and return and marry sonya nicholas Serious, sorrowful, and at variance with his parents, but as it seemed to him, passionately in love, left at the beginning of January to rejoin his regiment. After Nicholas had gone, things in the Rostov household were more depressing than ever, and the countess fell ill from mental agitation. Sonya was unhappy at the separation from Nicholas, and still more so on account of the hostile tone the countess could not help adopting toward her. The count was more perturbed. Than ever, by the condition of his affairs, which called for some decisive action, their townhouse and estate near Moscow had inevitably been had inevitably to be sold, and for this, they had to go to Moscow. but the countess's health obliged them to delay their departure from day to day. Natasha, who had borne the first period of separation from her betrothed lightly and even cheerfully, now grew more agitated and impatient every day. The thought that her best days, which she would have employed in loving him, were being vainly wasted, with no advantage to anyone, tormented her incessantly. His letters, for the most part, irritated her. It hurt her to think that while she lived only in thought of him, he was living a real life, seeing new places and new people that interested him. The more interesting his letters were, the more vexed she felt. Her letters to him, far from giving her any comfort, seemed to her a wearisome and artificial obligation. She could not write because she could not conceive the possibility of expressing sincerely in a letter even a thousandth part of what she expressed by voice, smile, and glance. She wrote to him formal, monotonous, and dry letters to which she attached no importance herself, and in the rough copies of which the Countess corrected her mistakes in spelling. There was still no improvement in the Countess's health, but... It was impossible to defer the journey to Moscow any longer. Natasha's trousseau had to be ordered and the house sold. Moreover, Prince Andrei was expected in Moscow where old Prince Bolkonski was spending the winter and Natasha felt sure he had already arrived. So the Countess remained in the country and the Count, taking Sonia and Natasha with him, went to Moscow at the end of January. That's the end of Book 7. There we go. Ah, oh, the Rostovs. Oh, you foolish, foolish family. I love them. And they are silly. <laughs> Alright, thanks for listening to that, guys. Um, have a good 24 hours or so. See you tomorrow.